0: If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele.
1: And I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 235 of the Leading Learning Podcast, which features Liz Kisslick, management consultant, executive coach, and facilitator. Salisa, so what do you and Liz talk about?
0: We talk about the customer or learner experience, we talk about learner engagement, and we talk about conflict, good and bad conflict, and how to encourage good conflict while limiting the bad. Also, because Liz is based in New York, and because we recorded on March 23rd, 2020, just after Governor Cuomo had closed non-essential businesses in that state, Liz and I talk about selling and marketing in times of crisis, particularly the current coronavirus crisis, what to do, what not to do, given that learning may or may not be a particularly appropriate activity at this time. A lot, of course, depends on individual circumstances. She and I also touch on self-care. Self-care is always important, but arguably it's even more important during times like these of greater stress when it can feel like autonomy and control have been wrested from us. And um, as Malcolm Knowles pointed out, we know how much adult learners like their autonomy.
1: Indeed, they do. So what reflection questions do you have to offer the autonomous adult learners in our audience for this episode? And as a reminder, listeners, you can find those reflection questions in the show notes available at leadinglearning.com slash episode 235.
0: Well, first, Liz talks about the importance of both tone and timing when selling and marketing during crisis So depending on when you're listening to this episode, look at what you're doing or what you did in terms of marketing and selling during the COVID-19 crisis. Where did you get the tone and the timing right? Where did you miss? And what might you take from this crisis to prepare you better for marketing and selling in a future crisis? Then second, Liz points out that the COVID-19 crisis has had a huge impact on how learning and teaching are happening in K-12 and higher ed. What lessons from this broader context might you apply to improve your learning business?
1: Well, that second question certainly dovetails well with the opportunities and challenges you and I discussed, Salisa, in our most recent episode, and we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. And it certainly does warrant some thought. So with that, let's move on to the conversation with Liz Kisslick.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. I'm Salisa Steele, and today I'm talking with Liz Kislik. Liz is a management consultant, executive coach, and facilitator. Liz, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast.
2: Thanks, Elisa. I'm glad to be with you.
0: So I obviously gave just the tiniest sketch of of who you are. So what else would you like listeners to know about you as backdrop for our conversation? I think the only
2: thing might be that I've worked in so many organizations either through my consulting practice or uh, even previously when I worked at a marketing agency where I have been involved with the kinds of organizations that I think are in your audience, um, that
0: whatever we talk about, I feel pretty comfortable we can make it relevant. Well, great. And actually... Where I'd love to start is conflict, because I know that that's a, an area that you focus on some, and I think a lot of people think of conflict as bad, or, or maybe I'm just revealing my own bias by saying that, but you, you make the point that conflict can sometimes be healthy and productive. So what's the difference between good conflict and bad conflict?
2: I think we're actually raised to think that conflict is bad. Um... Kids are told all the time that they shouldn't fight with each other, and I don't just mean the, you know, hit each other, but siblings are told that, and we're told that in school. I think that what we call conflict is really the kind of conflict that ends up looking like it could be damaging, could hurt people, uh, could be upsetting is uncontrolled and uncontrollable when in many ways it's it's really just like there is a difference between two things and you have to figure out if you can do something about it or not because we all have calendar conflicts all the time and we don't think of them as deeply insulting or pitched battles or we just think oh do I have to move this or could I do that a little later? We think, how can I make that work instead of, oh, this is so terrible and it must be resisted. And so it's, it's the frame of reference. If the conflict is just differences and our assumption is that there is going to be a way to work them out, then it creates a way to, raise differences to the surface, put them on the table, have everybody examine them, and come up with stronger options together than we might have separately just sticking to our positions.
0: Well, so I think that's a great distinction, like that idea of just the differences versus something that can actually hurt or do damage. And so what are your thoughts on how we can get less of the bad conflict, that kind that results in damage and hurt, and more of the good conflict where we're just trying to come up with these options given the circumstances. How do we focus on the good and kind of eliminate as much of the bad as possible in our organizations?
2: Good. That's a deep question. So I think the more obvious and easier to get to answers are about things like relationship and communication because A stronger relationship, a trusting and trusted relationship creates a kind of bank account of positive feeling of a kind of mutuality of interest so that when you have to take something out of that account and use it because you're in conflict, it's not that the relationship is actually at risk. And when you feel better about somebody else, you're less likely to go in there either ready to attack them or ready for them to attack you. You're more likely just to raise the issue the way we talked about the calendar conflict. I mean, we have conflicts with ourselves too when we can't make up our minds. So you can feel okay about the person or the group that you're in conflict with and just know you need to work the thing out. I think putting together the, what can we work on and how do we reduce the bad conflict? Part of why the bad conflict exists is when as individuals, we feel less like there is something we can do about it on our own. In some ways, our autonomy feels impinged upon or we feel that we have less control and Because of that, because of feeling like someone else can tell us what we have to do or make our lives harder in some way, I think we start off more resistant. And where do those things come up? They're more likely to come up when we already have an experience of there being a problem present. So um, I did a TEDx about conflict at work and why there's so much of it and what you can do to fix it and I talk in there about the underlying structures historical facts cultural norms all these things that we don't necessarily name but that are very likely to be holding a sense of conflict in place And so being able to uncover those and, again, bring them back up to the surface where we can work on them because we have a good relationship and because we speak kindly and compassionately and professionally to each other, those are all ways to, to, oh, I don't know, shed a little sunlight on the conflict, a little fresh air. It's in the basement and in the dark that these things start to feel so negative.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I thought that was interesting when you were talking about the, the, that bad conflict and how it can often um, come when there's this sense of feeling disempowered or that, that loss of autonomy. It was making me think, of course, of, of the learning context and, and you know, what, and, uh, what Malcolm Knowles, the, the father of andragogy, talks about, you know, that, that adults really, you know, they want to be autonomous. They really want to feel like they're in control of their learning. And so I think it's very interesting, too, to think about that sort of good conflict, bad conflict, potentially within that learning context as well. We're the same wherever we are.
2: Mm. You know, we want to be whoever we, we are. So whether we're conscious that it's a learning experience, I mean, everything's a learning experience. It's a question of whether we um, frame it that way. So whether we think of it as a learning experience or whether we think of it as the tasks we have to do to get our job done that day, we all want to have a say in how the thing's going to go, you know, and we don't like it when we can't get our way. Sometimes not getting our way is all right with us if we can see that there's a higher good or we'll get our turn later or the kinds of things that reassure us that we are valued and valuable as human beings, as professional people, as instructors, as whatever it is. But when we are not confident in that or feel that whoever we see as our opponent does not acknowledge that, that puts you back in the feeling of bad conflict.
0: Mm. Absolutely. Um, And I know that one of the other areas that you have have focused on is is around customer experience. Um, And for our listeners, I know learning experience is certainly front of mind and learner experience is even a bit of a buzzword these days. And so I'm curious to get your suggestions for how to go about improving the customer experience in that learning context when, when the customer is the learner.
2: Yeah, generally, you know, it's the same stuff that we were just talking about. I think the first rule is to go where they are. Because if you don't know exactly what they need to learn, what that means to them, how they think about it, then you can't even invite them to come along to where you are. Too often... There are all kinds of, whether they're workshops or uh, self-paced learning or a variety of learning tools that seem to assume that the learner is ready right now for the material as you have it. And they're just going to jump right in, you know, with both feet, have both hands out, smiling and fresh-faced, ready to take everything you've got. And we all know from our own experience, that's not how most people show up every day, right? There's loads of things on their mind. And whether there's a sick kid at home, or um, their boss has just been unhappy with them in some way, and now they feel forced to take whatever you've got. I'm going to go back to my TEDx for a funny example. It turns out and I didn't know this, there must be some courses, classes somewhere where the instructors are requiring that people actually watch my TEDx. Well, people don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if they would like the material anyway, but there are complaints about I'm only watching this because I have to for my class. So it may not matter if you really have the answers they need, if they don't want to get them from you. So, so that kind of, you know, what can be helpful? Um, If your audience is familiar with design thinking. Yes. And therefore the empathetic research that is necessary to understand the participant. And then the prototyping, or in this case, maybe piloting is more relevant. That, helps you practice what you're trying to deliver, and that's whether it's a live instructor or any other kind of tool, to make sure it will actually work for people who are in your audience. Mm.
0: I, I was beginning to think about design thinking um, when you were talking about that sort of, you know, go where they are, and it sounded to me, you are know, making sure that you don't make those assumptions about the learner that you really try to get into their head and what they're grappling with and dealing with so that you better understand right the orientation that they bring to the learning experience and and better know where you might have to to help them be excited about whatever you're asking them to do that's right and that's true even if we know them
2: because i'm thinking for example about um some of your trade association listeners or um professional society listeners who are providing instruction all the time. They know who their customers and learners are, but it is very easy to think about our audience in the aggregate when we're doing development. And it is really crucial to actually separate out who the individuals are and think of them as real people.
0: Yes, no, I think that's a, an incredibly important point because, right, it can be sometimes too easy to say, no, we do know our audience. But to your point, making sure that that's not a, a superficial understanding or that it's not um, putting everyone in the same camp versus actually looking at individual segments and what they need. So I think that's uh, incredibly important and i know that you know one of the places that, that you and i were chatting a little bit before um, we officially hit record and you know we you and i happen to be in sort of a a, a particular moment in time right now as the covid-19 pandemic is really um, beginning to deeply deeply impact uh, the united states as well as uh, other countries and so we were talking a little bit about this idea of you know sometimes the implications of 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 selling like our our learning businesses need to and, you know, making sure that these educational offerings that they have available, they're out there and as a resource to these learners, but it can almost end up feeling a little crass sometimes in in times of of crisis to continue selling. So I would love to to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, If your inbox is anything like mine, it's
2: a little flooded, with things that are supposed to be helpful, but actually you end up feeling overwhelmed. Um, I had to transfer a whole bunch of stuff from what I think of as my real office and create a kind of home office. So I'm fussing with lots of things and I don't need a whole bunch of extra emails right now. So I think there is an issue of timing that's important. And I think there's an issue of tone And one of the things that is wonderful about your audience is that they actually have materials and tools that might be incredibly useful to their customers right now, particularly those who can't be doing their regular jobs but could be preparing themselves for the time when they go back. And so for some lucky people... What's lucky and what's unlucky is very hard to tease out right now. But for people who don't have the same responsibilities they normally would, now is a great time for learning. Being able to identify them is very hard, though, and, and there's always a risk of catching too many people in that net. So the first thing I would say is we're probably very much in the ramp up of how bad conditions are going to be here uh, given that there isn't that much testing going on yet and we're just learning about people who are actually ill so from now until we know we're sort of at the real crisis point i think tone is incredibly important and particularly in subject lines so uh when you're listening there's are sending out messages, it's important that the first line of approach be how concerned they are about their audiences, and that they want to be helpful and showing that they are caring as opposed to flogging product. So that kind of tone, and that we're here for you. And then being careful about what are the ways in which you can actually reach us. Because another thing that is really, really terrible is to send out a kind of promotion. And some people, for example, right now are selling out, sending out discount promotions. And you get either click-through or calls. And then you can't handle them for some reason. So you have to be very careful that you've actually got the product that you can get it to the customer, that your system is robust enough uh, to handle if you are downloading or live streaming material, all that kind of stuff. That's really crucial. But that the tone straight through needs to be about, we're here to help and support you. And here are some ways that maybe we can help you get through this tough time. And then options are, because we have material, so you can have something to do while you're sitting around and staring at the wall. And a little humor is okay. Um, Also, so that you can get ready for when you're going back to work, those kinds of things. So there are a bunch of different approaches, but it's about being really humane. So one of the things I might encourage is that any of your listeners who are actually in sales and marketing, whatever they are planning to try they first try it out, they're probably at home too, with some loved one who is not in their field and will be really honest with them about, no, 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 don't do that,
0: before they send anything. Well, that's great to think about the, the timing and the tone and that emphasis on, on concern and the humaneness and wanting to help, but, but making sure that it is all couched in, the, in this reality of the moment and knowing too that. As you said around timing, you know we're it's sort of shifting sands right now. We're not exactly sure um, where we are and where things will land. So being really careful in that. But you're absolutely right that so many of the podcast listeners really do have resources that could be very helpful to their audiences at at this moment in time. So it it also does seem like there's a little bit of a, a public service benefit there in making sure that that would be customers and current customers are are aware of those offerings. So, I know that employee engagement is another area of expertise for you. And again, if there's sort of a slightly different spin on it, but I know for listeners that uh, learner engagement is a really important area this idea of how do you get uh, learners engaged, how do you keep them engaged. And so, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on how to um, foster engagement in, in learners.
2: In a way, these are very much related to the learner experience and go to where they are and that idea. The first thing that strikes me is give them what they need when they need it. So a major part of engagement is, is now the right time for you to be learning this? Um, That's certainly true in what we were just talking about in marketing during a bad time. Uh, If somebody really needs these credits to maintain their professional status or to apply for the next level of compensation or or whatever that might be, being able to suss out what the general trajectory for that kind of learning is and to present it to them close enough in time that they don't forget about it but not in the last minute so they wonder why weren't you here, that kind of thing. Timing is really important. The um, relevance of it, as we said before, and and part of what you can do with that is to personalize or customize as much as is possible given whatever your platform is. So for some people, it's being able to – take in small chunks almost on the fly. And whether that is written material or online engagement, um, can they do a little bit at a time so they can do it when they're calm and have quiet time, or even during that kind of interstitial time in between things, then they are likely to be more engaged than if there's a big, big chunk they have to do all at once which in today's world, even if we weren't dealing with a virus, it is very hard for people to get a long, sustained, unbroken chunk of time. Another thing about customization is, are they more likely to be engaged if they are working on this alone or in a group, even if everyone is doing it individually? There can be great value to harnessing the power of peers, in keeping people engaged. And so if your learners um, are not co-located, but there are ways that you can even use things like social media or Slack if it's in a larger organization so that they are talking to each other about, oh, have you done that module yet? Or what did you think of that chapter? Anything that gets the water cooler chatter going will very, very often help engage a group of disparate people in the same way that you know we talk about what we've seen on Netflix and have you seen it and watch out for the spoilers. Um, and that goes to the relationship with the learner and something that happens too seldom, I think, which is whether we go back to them and give them the chance to talk about how well the materials or content worked for them and what they still need. We're so well aware that people learn differently, but we often don't actually check to see if our current methodology was really successful. And I don't mean just because they fill out, you know a, a questionnaire. I mean really getting their comments about, which parts worked for them, didn't work for them, what they'd still like to see, and then committing to doing something about that.
0: Mm, I think that's a, an excellent point. It seems to me to fit very nicely with what you were talking about, you know, around drawing on design thinking and put, putting yourself where the learners are Um, And this is sort of that closing of the loop or the continuation of that cycle anyway, where, you know, after the learning experience, it's about making sure you, again, get back in their shoes and understand their thinking about that experience, what it's helped them with, where it didn't help them and they had hoped it might have helped them. Well, so, you know, I know that um, you also talk about self-care and and self-management and again given this moment that we're in it feels perhaps even more important than than ever to to focus on things like self-care um just because I think so many people are feeling stressed and stretched uh you know around all the changes that COVID-19 is is um forcing us at some level to make in our lives and in our work and so um what are your recommendations for self-management, self-care, especially in trying times?
2: I think this actually goes so beautifully back to the point we were talking about before in terms of autonomy and control. That's what we've given up right now, or, or they have been wrested from us. Um, so there are a whole grab bag of things all of which will work, work for some people none of which will work for everybody you know you have to find your place in this it's the same thing as customizing the learning but all of these things are a way of getting back some modicum of feeling that I am in control at least of myself if not of everything else and the first place you have that is actually your body so anything people can do to recognize that they are not just their anxious thoughts running around in their heads, but you know we're still connected to the real world. And one of the things I say to my clients all the time is I remind them to feel their feet in their shoes, or if you're working from home today, on the floor, um, because when you tune into your sensory impressions it stops the anxious chatter in your brain for just a second. And that can help calm you to go on to the next thing. So that could be um, an actual uh, tactile sense impression, like feeling your feet in your shoes or your hands on your thighs or on your desktop or whatever. It could be looking at something carefully Anything that's near you, really, you could hold up your pen and look at your pen and actually think about what you see in a way that you don't in the normal course. And just telling yourself that you see a metal point and ink in the barrel and there's a cap with a clip separates you from whatever has been driving you nuts for the three minutes beforehand. And it sounds silly in a way, but it it really can bring you back to consciousness. So that kind of grounding in what's really happening around you is one way. Um, But there are a whole bunch of other ones. So there are many possibilities that have to do with other people. Checking in with other people, even if you are now working by yourself. And that can be on Zoom, which everybody is doing. My extended family, there were 13 of us on a Zoom call yesterday. It was just really nice to see everybody's face for a minute. That can be helpful if you are in a position to help someone else, when you, you know, make your periodic trip to the supermarket, if you can leave something for someone who is older or ill or can't get out because they have young kids at home, that's really valuable and they are so grateful and you can feel really happy if that's available to you. Um, another thing that we often say we shouldn't do, but actually in times like this is really useful, is to be able to compartmentalize. And we do this in terms of uh, work-life balance all the time without thinking about it. But I want to give everybody permission to actually think about it. And that is to worry or note and acknowledge your fears, but then to say to yourself, okay, I've spent enough time with that And I'm not going to worry about that particular thing again until after five this afternoon or until tomorrow. So give yourself room to acknowledge what is bothering you. And you may want to write it down in a journal. You may want to tell it to somebody else. Or you may just want to be very conscious yourself of what your concerns are. But then put them aside so you can do the work you need to, or be with your kids, or just be calm for a little while, because we all need that kind of break.
0: Those are all great uh, ideas. Um, And like you said, they won't necessarily work for everyone, but there's hopefully something in there that will help everyone a little bit with some of their self-care in the days ahead. And so if we pick up a little bit um, I just would be interested in in your thoughts you know kind of as you look out um, to the future and you know I'm thinking you know maybe a couple years out and and just thinking about what might um, excite you um, you know what what do you what's giving you sort of hope and and joy or excitement in this moment?
2: I think we learn from everything so if I'm going to think about this in terms of your audience now is an amazing moment. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen in terms of teaching children who are suddenly all of necessity being homeschooled. We don't know what's going to work for distance learning in a whole new way. So I'm just fascinated to see what's going to happen and how we will then suddenly shift into adapting those things into what becomes the normal course. And one of the things that I'm really hopeful about, because I think all this homeschooling is going to force us to look at learning in a whole variety of ways, because we have, in effect a whole new cadre of untrained teachers who are going to have to be teaching to at least some extent. So I'm really interested to see how we can embed emotional intelligence into what we now think of as learning methods and technologies in a much more conscious way that I bet will help do what we were talking about before in terms of going to where – the learner is. And I think if we can get more sophisticated and nuanced about that, and then who knows what's happening with artificial intelligence and where that might play a role. And again, I want that to be very much personalized and customized and not sort of a new aggregated view of humans that force them but a way to invite people and really excite them about what they need to learn.
0: Mm. Well, I, I really appreciate that answer because I think it takes you know, what so many of us are seeing as challenges currently, and it really puts that um, opportunity spin on them that we have a lot to learn from um, in, in the coming uh, weeks and months. So next to last question, um, and this is one we ask of all guests, and it focuses on your own personal learning. And the question is, what is one of the most powerful learning experiences that you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your formal education?
2: I have to say that parenting has been my most rigorous learning experience (laughs) because it's so multifaceted and you start out thinking you are so far ahead of the kid, but you still have to confront your own humanity in it. And my kids have just been really powerful teachers to me, and, and I've used those lessons in my work forever after about going to where they are and waiting until they're ready and making sure I've tailored stuff to them, because otherwise, everybody just wants to go and cry, you know, um, <laughs> and, and so that it's really a kind of trial by fire, but also huge opportunity. It, it has been a blessing, I think, for me to have had the opportunity to work with them at all different stages of life. And in each one, there are different learning opportunities for me as the parent.
0: Mm. Well, yeah, it's interesting. You can look back at so many of the comments that you've already made and sort of see them with that parenting lens. Yeah, it's really <laughs> <Awesome>. it's true. <laughs> Absolutely. So final question, Liz, is if um, folks would like to learn more about you and your work or connect with you, where would you have them go?
2: The best place is actually my website. That's lizkislick.com. I'm sure you'll put that in the show notes. Um, There's a lot of material there that may be helpful. If they look at my blog, which is on the site, um, and there are a lot of self-care, as you were talking about, things in there and self-regulation kinds of um, materials in there. There's also an ebook going back to the conflict question that you asked before, Salisa, about how to deal with interpersonal conflict at work that might be helpful. Uh, they can also find me on LinkedIn, of course, and I post... Um, links to all kinds of stuff that I share there that may also be useful.
0: Well, wonderful. Yes, we'll definitely make sure to get LizKislik.com into the show notes uh, and also include a link to to your LinkedIn profile. And you do have a a wealth of of resources available on your site. I've um, read the blog and um, I, I do recommend that folks go and visit that. So Liz, thanks so much for taking time to talk with me today. It's really been a pleasure. Hang in there.
1: That concludes the interview with Liz Kislik. To get show notes, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 235. And the show notes will include the reflection questions for this episode. Those are one, depending on when you listen to this episode, look at what you're doing or what you did in terms of marketing and selling during the COVID-19 crisis. Where did you get tone and timing right? Where did you miss? What might you take from this crisis to prepare you better for marketing and selling in a future crisis? And then second, the COVID-19 crisis has had a huge impact on how learning and teaching are happening in K-12 and higher education. What lessons from this broader context might you apply to improve your learning business?
0: When you check out the show notes, you're going to see various options for subscribing to the podcast if you're getting value out of what you hear, Jeff and I would be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it helps us to get some data on the impact of what we're doing.
1: And we'd also be grateful if you'd take just a minute to give us a rating on Apple Podcast. All you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple. Salisa so and I personally appreciate your rating and review, but more importantly, those reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business.
0: Finally, please follow us and share the good word about leading learning. You can find us on Twitter by going to leadinglearning.com slash Twitter, on Facebook at leadinglearning.com slash Facebook, and on LinkedIn at leadinglearning.com slash LinkedIn. We also encourage you to use the hashtag leadinglearning on any of those channels. Wherever, however you do it, please help spread the word about leading learning.
1: Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.